Welcome to another episode of our Founders Podcast. I'm your host, Ash, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your business. In this episode, I talk to Melibit, the founder of Knowledge Owl. Melibit, the CEO at Knowledge Owl, a company she unintentionally founded in 2015. Her passion for helping people led her from roles like counselor to director of customer happiness at Survey Gizmo. Uh, when they just thought of shutting down Help Gizmo, a knowledge-based tool, Meredith Co-Founder P saw an opportunity and acquired it, giving birth to knowledge out. Meredith's expertise lies in knowledge management, customer support, and building people's first business. Knowledge Owl focuses on crafting awesome knowledge-based software driven by customer feedback and sustain solely by its profit. And I know a lot of you want to understand how founders make it, how they don't go for investment and do it by themselves. So this is the right show for you. So I hope you enjoy the show. Bye a little bit. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you uh, that you can share with our audience? I do. I have a notebook that I use. And every month I get to put down a phrase to live by. So I don't have a favorite, but I can share with you my quote for February, which is, if you don't create space, you won't be able to grow. Mm, interesting. Nice. Because if there is no space, where your stems will grow, right? <laughs> yes, that's, that's a Dan Patel special. He's the uh, founder of SAS Academy. So I, I heard that from him. Awesome. Awesome. Great stuff. So tell us about Knowledge Owl. Um, what does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? So we help people, small and medium-sized businesses, build knowledge-based websites. So a knowledge-based website is a website meant to share information with whoever your target, target audience is. So mm -hmm. you can very much think of it like a help center you know, for your support team. So a lot of software and technology companies, which is about 50% of our customer base, use us primarily mm -hmm. for software and product documentation for their customers. Awesome. Awesome. So so I want to I wanna talk about more behind this innovative venture and, and how, uh, you know, your past and everything. But before we get into that, let's talk about where the story began. Where did the idea for Knowledge Out came from? So I was the director of... Um, customer happiness at Survey Gizmo, and I was running their support team. Mm -hmm. And back in 2011, we came up with this idea that we were going to create other products. So we were Survey Gizmo, and we were going to create other gizmos. Like there was email gizmo for a while, there was learn gizmo, and then there was help gizmo. And I was part of the team working on help gizmo, which was going to be a help desk tool, like mm -hmm. a Zendesk, like a help scout. And we sort of built like a little prototype of the whole thing. And that project never got off the ground. But my team at uh, Survey Gizmo, the support team, they basically resurrected Help Gizmo and brought it back to life and started using it for our internal team documentation, mm -hmm. which then led to our documentation person who was using Zendesk at the time to saying, I want to use this for our customer facing documentation. And then suddenly the light bulb went off for the CEO at the time. And they're like, we should try this again. We should try to bring this to market. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I got the opportunity to switch from being the leader of the support team to basically being the product owner and the manager to bring Help Gizmo to market. And so I said, sure, why not? Mm -hmm. 
great. And 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 while you were while you were getting these feedbacks, um, was there any particular feedback or any particular customer you're working with, whom with you interacted and understood that oh this could be something bigger than what we've been trying in house or something different could add a literally next stream of income to our businesses or something like that. Yeah, so I originally Help Kismo was going to be a full help desk solution. But when we sort of resurrected it for our team, we were just using it for internal documentation and then for our customer facing documentation. So I went out there, you know, it's 2013. I went out there and started researching and I couldn't find a lot of other very like niche knowledge based tools. So I was like, mm. there's a lot of help desk tools, but there's not a lot of just the knowledge based tool. So mm. our original idea is what if we just niche down and just do the knowledge based part and just do that really, really well? Because, mm. you know, there's not a ton of tools that do this. And eventually, you know, a lot of, you know, support teams, you know, people using Zendesk, people using Freshdesk, they might outgrow the like the built in knowledge based tool there. And there's not mm -hmm. a ton of options or there wasn't back in 2013, yeah. Um, yeah. which we used to be on the first page of Google. So it wasn't very crowded back in 2013, nice. 2014. But we decided yeah. to sort of like niche down and just do the knowledge base part, which uh -huh. um, I don't know. I, I've heard this quote in a lot of SaaS circles, but the, the riches are in the niches, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, niche down and like. I don't think we're very like niche down anymore. I think our software is very horizontal, which might be like a struggle, but I really think for a lot of things, like the more specific you can get with who your audience is and who your target customers are and what problem you solve, the more successful mm -hmm. you're going to be. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in terms of customers, my first customer was really our person that was doing documentation at SurveyGizmo. Her name is Bree Hilmer. She's at Splunk now. She's, I think, mm -hmm. a, a senior tech writer there. Um, but she basically told us what she wanted and we built it. And like, we mm -hmm. were like in the same building and we were just building the product for her and our customers there. So like we had really quick feedback loop mm. in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So you, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of startups starts with either if the founders are facing the problem themselves in this space, which I think in your case, it was the, um, the reason and then the other other segment is like somebody who has found out this problem faced by a particular vertical and then they jumped on the opportunity right mm -hmm. that's good that's good so so when did when you had this epiphany did you looked in the market I mean from the memory I know that there is a company called Altavision in Australia they have Confluence and Jira Jira is for project management Confluence for I think Knowledge, knowledge yeah you yeah. can confluence is a is a competitor yeah there you go so yeah. did did you like did whether did you like, do your research but there are the product what was going on that time and so <laughs> yeah. yeah so i mean at that time like confluence was not on my radar because mm -hmm. like, I wasn't looking for things that are like Confluence is sort of like a wiki, right? Where like everybody's sharing information. And to be 100% honest, like I had no idea what knowledge management was as a category. I was really thinking and we were coming at it from the help desk you know, side mm -hmm. of the world because I have a support background. And we know that all help desks have like a built in knowledge base tool, like to build a help center. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, it's not their primary focus, you know, as a product. Their primary focus is like the conversation piece. So yeah. you know, they're limited in terms of features. And then if you wanted to go try to build your own knowledge base out of WordPress or anything, it's complicated. And like, have you ever built a, like a website before? And like, there wasn't a ton of things that was just 
like specifically for like a knowledge base. I think at the time there was a company called Help IQ. Help Juice was around at that time. Uh, there was something called Manula who like made like document software. They're still around too, but uh, there wasn't a ton of things that were like just like the knowledge base. So like mm. as a support person, if I'm searching for knowledge base software, there wasn't a ton of stuff. And a lot of the people that were ranking for it were people who were help desk tools. You know? so, right, right. Yeah. Okay, that's good. And 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 how did you approach? So so you mentioned that you were ranking on first page of Google, and that's very interesting for me you know all all of most of the audience we have on our show they are founders either they are doing it with boots you know bootstrapping or they are having like joint accelerator programs in different parts of the world so but they're all always looking for these kind of tricks and tips how you can get the early adopters you know yep. and one of the very um i guess adopted or famous ways is to um you know do content marketing Whereas yep. I, I'm not sure if you did that or not, but so how did you, how did you go ahead with that? Like when you, when you were like, I don't know, pre-launch space yeah. or when you launched and how did you progress from that point? Yeah. So, I mean, the good news is I had no idea what I was doing, so I didn't realize how hard anything was. And I think this is a beautiful place to be before you know it. Cause you're just like, mm. why not? I'll just try it. It's sort of like being yeah. a kid. You're not scared of anything. So I was, how do we get onto Google? I'm like, I guess we have to write content. So we were just, you know, and we didn't have customer support. So I had a bunch of time on my hands. So I was, we were writing blogs all the time. I was commenting, like I was going into communities and commenting on things. You know, I was using social media back then. And um, yeah, so, and I don't know, we just did that a lot. And then as we got our first couple of customers, right? Like, and as we like gained some customers, we like went hard on like the reviews. So like getting cap terror reviews, like the review sites were like a big, big thing for us because it like led right. trust and, and validity and it got other people to discover us and be like, oh, this is ranked highly. So mm. that was like originally our strategy. And then once we got customers, we sort of abandoned that. And now we're like on you know, page five of Google for knowledge based <laughs> software. So we need to fix that problem. But maybe the idea is we need to go back to the content because <laughs> it did work. It does work. You have to do the work. That's another quote I have. Chop wood, carry water. Like, you know yeah. what you need to do to get to the first page of Google. It is hard, but mm -hmm. you have to do it if you want to be there. Produce mm -hmm. valuable content. Did you did, did you do any kind of like keyword research or, or do you just jump into the space and then start writing? And what was the approach? Yeah, I mean, I was Googling like how to do this. So I think Neil Patel at that point had like a course that I was like, I went into the course and it was just like, just keep writing blogs, right? And so like, I did some like basic keyword research, but it was very much about knowledge bases and internal knowledge bases and free knowledge bases. So I did do some research about what people are looking for and like, you know, would just like find out a, a term and then just try to create some content around that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, especially if it spoke to me. One of my favorite blogs I wrote way back in the day was uh, is it knowledge base or knowledge base? One word or two words? Like, how do you spell knowledge base? <laughs> I think we still own that. I think I oh, still wow. own the answer wow. to that question from a blog post I wrote a really long time ago. But awesome. yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And these kind of low hanging fruits in terms of uh, search engine optimization, you actually don't know if you're going to get like, uh, you know, your uh, ideal customer profile. Yeah you know, coming to your website from this keyword, but it definitely tells Google that people are coming to your website. That's really, really good, right? 
And that you so, know about a subject, I think, right? Like that you're an expert on this subject. Subject, <laughs> so, exactly, yeah. exactly. Great, great, great. So, so can you give us a sense of like, sense of the business, where you are in terms of revenue, number of customers, size of yep. team, et cetera? Yeah, so we are over, just over a million in ARR. We have a 450 customers and 10 team members. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Very... Um, you know, a streamlined team producing a lot of results. That's really good for a startup. Or I mean, you're not a startup. For, like years, for years, it was just two of us. So it was just oh. me and my co-founder, Pete. And then, you know, then we started bringing some folks in. Oh. I think in 2017, 2018. So, Great. Yeah. And, and I, I would love to know more about you and, and, and Pete. So, so I'm eager to learn more about the person behind it. Can you take us back to your roots? Share with our listeners about how your upbringing and childhood was. How did your early experiences shape your journey and eventually led you to become the entrepreneur? Sure. I still struggle with being called an entrepreneur and a founder because I'm like, it was an accident. I didn't mean to do that. But I think there are quite a few people who accidentally end up in situations where you have an opportunity and you just go for it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I did not think this. I grew up thinking I was, you know, early on, I wanted to be a veterinarian, like, Mm -hmm. A lot of kids. And then I realized, oh, I love animals too much. I don't want to see them in pain. So that mm-hmm. was scrapped. But um, I did. I thought I was going to be uh, like in the arts. Like I did mm-hmm. musical theater and dance and all this stuff growing up. And I went to college for, for one year and I was like, don't want to do that. So I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I just wanted to gather a whole bunch of different experiences. And I did. So mm-hmm. I think some of the you said before, I like helping people. I do. My favorite job I ever had was a camp counselor. Super mm-hmm. fun. I loved helping people. I was a ropes course instructor. So I helped people overcome fears and solve challenges. And I really enjoyed it. Um, then I became a teacher. And I mm-hmm. was a middle school teacher. So I, I taught kids like probably from the age of like, you know, 10 to 14 for a couple of years. And I loved that. And then I moved. And that's when I randomly got into tech. <laughs> and I convinced them to give me a support job because I wanted like I'm like I can help people I'm pretty like tech tech savvy because I was sort of the tech savvy teacher and I was like I could get a job in software so I convinced Survey Gizmo to give me a job on their support mm-hmm. team and I'm one of those folks who accidentally ends up in leadership roles like I don't go for them but I'm pretty stubborn I don't want anybody else telling me what to do so I often find <laughs> myself <laughs> accidentally into in leadership roles when I'm like I don't really want to be a real leader so I, I, I call it the reluctant leader. So I ended up becoming like in charge of that team and then mm-hmm. in charge of the product help gizmo. And we were just really lucky because, you know, a lot of times you have these internal projects and they get just shut down and you get told to go back to your old job or like take a hike. And they gave us the option to purchase it and then run it as our own business. So, mm. you know, that doesn't happen quite often. And like, we were lucky at the beginning because we didn't have to go through the ramen stage, right? Where you're like not making any money or you have to have a side job because we were getting paid to build this product. So, mm. you know, we had a head start. We were very privileged at the very beginning. So once we took over it, we had enough revenue coming in mm. to not have to have a second job. Wow. Wow. That's, lucky. that's really we were lucky. We were very yeah. lucky. Especially being just team of two people, you know, it's amazing to... Yeah what you guys have achieved. So, and anything would you, you would like to share about Pete? Uh, how did you guys meet or, or how did you got into this? I hired him 
on my support team back at Survey Chemo. I heard he was doing tech support and mm -hmm. he was he he wanted to do development. So, you know, we had a program. It's still like one of the things I'm most proud of is we had a developer and training program for my support team in which mm -hmm. we would teach our support team how to do development. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people from my early team that did this, they're like directors and managers of teams. You know, Pete's now the C CTO of Knowledge Owl. You know, so like they've gone on from like the support background to like have careers in development, which is pretty cool. And we taught them to do that. You know what? You, you, you're you saying that you've been lucky, but what I've heard till now, it, <laughs> it makes me feel that you've been actually working towards this since from your starting point. Right. You, you have worked as a, you know, as a coach, as a mentor to support other people. You taught kids in the teacher. So that's a lot of training. You know how to speak how to emphasize uh, you know sorry showcase your empathy and then you jumped into the it space where you actually progressed very well within a short period of time so i guess you got like that hidden it's talent. all connected <laughs> it's all connected it does i used to say that you know being like a manager of a support team was like the same thing as being a teacher I used stickers, right? Like it was in person back then. It wasn't remote. But yeah, I mean, it was very similar. And I yeah. think what tech can use a lot of and what like SaaS can use a lot of are those the people skills. So I think one of the things I'm very proud of and I'm, very, I'm still very much attached to and I believe in very strongly is hiring people who don't have a tech background, who don't have a SaaS background, especially for like, you know, the, those customer facing roles. You can teach technology. I can teach people to do software development. I can't teach people to have empathy. I can't teach people right. to like want to help people, to have that heart for service. And mm. if you hire those people and bring them in your team, when you can have like a software product that's really good, built by people that like want to help people, Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of the secret sauce is because like our developers, too. And Pete had that service background, too. Like he wants to help. He's not building it for himself. He's building it because he wants to help people. And he's like listening to feedback and he's building it for people. So I think getting those really like people first people on your team can really uh, sort of supercharge your growth. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> And and obviously you found out a diamond in the coal mine. You you know onboarded him, and then there you go. You got a he has here. a diamond in the rough. <laughs> I'm a fan. So so, what I'm interested in is like when the company decided to shut down the help Gizmo part. What made you, or what triggered this um, decision making of yours, so that you you guys thought, okay, let's take it in our hands. How did you come up with this like strength? There are sometimes I think you get forced with a decision that doesn't really feel like a decision at all. Right? Like how would you not? Like what like how I, I don't know. Like I don't know how I would not give this a try. It's mm. absolutely terrifying because most startups will fail. And then you'll be like, I'm gonna take this and we're gonna fail this because that's that's what happens. Most of they're not gonna make it three years. They're not gonna they're not gonna do it. Right. And then you're going to have to go find a real job. Hmm. But I really, I, I really believed in the idea of building a company for good. And you don't see it a lot with software companies. You don't see a lot of very purpose driven software companies. But like somewhere in me, I really wanted to do tech different. Like I really hmm. wanted to build 
a SaaS company and a software company that treated people really well, that treated their customers really well, that treated their staff really well, that like treated the community and like the world at large really well and like did things a little bit different. So I was like really called to that. I'm like, I think it can work. I think we can do this. And Mm. so many times and um, like, and this is, this is absolutely like, I I do not, uh, (laughs) not hold it against people who are looking for the exit, right? Everybody needs an exit strategy. I, including me, you know, mm. and that, you know, some people call this like, what is your ideal exit? And if you don't think about what you want, like you're going to be in for it. Like you need to have like, what's going to happen when I get to a certain point? Like, what is my end goal with this? Like, what am I mm. aiming for? And like, when I was really challenged to do this, it's like, I realized I wanted to build an employee owned software company. I don't mm. know many that are employee owned, but like, I, like, that's my exit plan. I want to be able to sell it back to the people that helped us build it. And then just let them keep taking it forward. So like, to me, that's my perfect exit. But like, I think that's a very like people first and people centric thing. Like I want to share the, the wealth that like we can create by building like a great company with other people. Well, that, that's first. I mean, I've never heard this, this before. I mean, I've interviewed tons of, tons of founders and, and nobody mentioned to me on the on the show that they want to actually get an exit by giving it back to the employees i mean there there yeah, are I, potentials, you know there there probably are other people like this you don't hear about it though yeah but i think we could wow, wow. <laughs> that's that's really eye-opening great so 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 tell me how long it took you guys uh, or or i should say pete and you were mostly working on i i'm guessing on the product size and pete will be uh, I'm guessing he was working with the um, tech side. So how long it took you guys to get the MVP ready from day zero? Well, that was so long ago. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but we already sort of had it because we had a version of it that we were using. Mm. Um, I think it was probably three or four months of like us working on the product and building it internally and like setting up the website and setting up Stripe and everything to be able to bring in new customers and, you know, me doing all like us doing like all this blogging and stuff to try to rank and whatnot. Um, And it was about four months, I think before, like when we started like 100% working on it to like the Mm -hmm. first person just signing up for a trial and then putting it in a credit card and paying us. Hmm. Interesting. And, and and how long it took you guys to, so let's say, for example, we take it like three to four months to MVP, but after you launched your MVP, how long it took you guys to get your first customer? I mean, I'm not uh, referring to the customers you might have got from your other business. It's solely for this one. How, how yeah. did it? It was for, that was the first customer who had no relationship to the other business. Ah, Isn't that? Okay. Cause okay. yeah, that was, it was about four months. And, and how, how did he, uh, got to know about the business. Did did your blog posts or or search engine optimization led into the content, or how did he find about you guys? I'm guessing he probably found us on one of the review sites. I don't know for sure, but like we were doing a lot of like work on SEO, so like you could find us. We didn't have any paying customers yet. We had the free customers that we were building it for, so we had people using it, you mm-hmm. know, that we had just asked like those early adopters, but we didn't have anybody from like the general community. But we had started getting some trials in there. You know, generally, I think it was a lot of it like coming in from like Captera, um, you know, the people looking for a knowledge base tool. And then, you know, they would find us and they would sign up for a trial. And then somebody paid us in about four <laughs> months, which felt awesome. pretty good. 
yeah. How did you get <laughs> into Capitara? Because I guess it's a very competitive place to be in there, right? It wasn't back in the day. I'm just telling you. Like, it wasn't that, like, the space was not very crowded. Like, mm. back in the day, in that in that listing for a knowledge base, none of the help tools were in there. So, like, I wasn't competing with, like, Zendesk or anything. There was just, like, a couple other tools. And then there were these, like, sort of old school, like, help authoring tools that people would use. Like, remember when you, I don't know if you remember, but, like, you used to hit, like, you know, F5 on your keyboard and it would pop up, like, a help thing, a help menu for old software. Oh, yeah, Windows. Hey, yeah. Hey, so, like, those yeah. were, like, called help authoring tools or hats. And, like, you would use these. There were specific software designed to do that. and like. You know, those were in the knowledge base or knowledge management section of things, but you know they were old tools, yeah, old school. Great, great. And 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 when you guys started, and now I'm sure you have done tons of variation in your pricing. But how did it look back then, and how does it look now? <laughs> so we are looking at updating our pricing right now. Okay. I will admit we have not changed our pricing since 2017. For every other founder, don't do this. You need to have a system. You should be like evaluating pricing every six months or every year. Don't do what we did. Like, do not do what we did. We also, you know, let everybody keep their pricing. So um, so we have all of these legacy plans. I have like almost 200 of them, right? Like I have a lot of legacy customers. And now, now we're going to have to figure out how to move people to new pricing. So we uh, originally, it was just, we looked at those very few other tools out there and we you know this is a way that people choose their pricing you just look at your competitors and you you know try to be like we don't want to be the most expensive we don't want to like win on price though so like find somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that was sort of the strategy and it wasn't you know what people would advise you to do today it's not value-based pricing but our customers have traditionally really liked our pricing um because it's very straightforward it's easy to estimate we've done you know and for years since like 2017 we do like user base and knowledge base or like project base so there's mm-hmm. like a flat rate and then you pay for however many like the user seats or like the projects that you want to do and knowledge all so it's easy for people to estimate and people like it because it's straightforward you know it's not optimized you know in terms of SaaS or like pricing experts would probably like tis 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 me but our uh you don't even have like the like the you know generally like the really different plan levels. We do all features at all plan levels. So we've made some decisions in the past to make mm-hmm. it easy for our customers and easy for us. I don't know if it's optimized in terms of revenue. So that's something I'm currently exploring and figuring out where we want to land on this. But moving forward, right now we're working on creating a system to figure out how to update our pricing. Because as you know, like inflation's gone up like 25% since 25, 2017 and we have not raised our prices. So oh, yeah. You, you have to definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotta okay. fix that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. And um what I also want to know that usually when you when you find your co-founder, how does that look when when you have to make a decision? How, who was the who was the person who who had veto power among you both? Like, you know, something like if you're making yeah. a decision across a feature or a product, is it Pete or is it you? Uh, or, 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 or it depends upon what kind of feature it is. And how did you manage that kind of, um, you know, decision-making fatigue for, in founder's life? You know? Yeah. So <laughs> when we first had to set off and, you know, we decided we we're just going to go in 50-50, which is like the foundation of like, you know, 
like wanting to share the thing. It's like, let's come in. Let's just split it evenly. Like we're both working on it. Like we'll just do 50, 50. Let's let's be Mm -hmm. very fair. But when we created our first operating agreement, we had to figure out, okay, so what do we do if we disagree? So we put in the shotgun clause, right? So, you know, if, if for whatever reason, like that we, it came to it, like, here's what's going to happen. Here's how we're going to, you know, deal with like the business. If some, if, if it comes to that, we've never, uh, we very rarely like get into it where it's problematic. Um, so like I, I'm, I've been lucky. I've been very fortunate, but like it hasn't come to, you know, a lot of people have founder issues. Um, we haven't gotten to a point where it's been difficult, but we have in our back pocket, right. The operating agreement with the shotgun clause that says like, here's what's happening. Like if we get to the point where like we can't work together, we can't do this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of us can make an offer to buy the other person out, and the other person like can either take it or like outdo it, and that's that's it. So like we know there is like that, you know, at the end of the day, but we've never let it get to that point. So. Oh, awesome! Yeah. I mean, you, you must have a really good uh, team dynamics going on there for the founders. So that's why, because a lot of founders struggle with with decisions when when it comes for the product so that's great great so so can you share a compelling case study that highlights how a company leveraged knowledge our solution to achieve success and solve their key business challenges yeah that's that's an exciting one yeah no i'm trying to think of like a good so we did some jobs to be done research um with the gals over at forget the funnel um in the past couple of years. And that's been really eye-opening to like really understand what drives people and what is happening to people before they sign up for Knowledge Owl. And like this sort of blows my mind, but a lot of people that come to us, they don't have a knowledge base, right? (laughs) They might have a Word document that has like a bunch of FAQs or just a bunch of information in it. Or they Mm -hmm. might be using Slack to just ask each other questions. Or they might have like tool tips in their product or app, but there are a lot of software and tech companies out there that don't have a knowledge base at all. So eventually you get to the point where you're trying to bring in support folks and they're like, and there's no way for them to learn besides doing and asking questions. Or you get a bunch of customers coming in and they're flooding your support because they're asking like super basic questions because you don't have a knowledge base and there's no way for them to find something out without trial or error or contacting your support. So um, a lot of um, organizations who come to us are coming to us to set that up. And like, I mean, once you actually have a knowledge base and your customers can self-serve, right, the volume of like easy support questions are going to go down. It's not like having a knowledge base is going to mean you don't have support. You're just going to have harder, like more interesting support questions, like not like the level one type support, but it's going to reduce that. It's going to reduce your time to like onboard new staff members because they're going to be able to look at the knowledge base and like understand how a feature works or how your product works. So like across the business, there are like so many different, you know, pieces that like having a knowledge base contributes to. Um, And it's a hard thing to measure. And I think this is what a lot of like tech writers and documentation specialists it's one of those things that like you know at like a heart is like important for your business right Mm. (laughs) to grow like how do you like how do you measure the impact of like having documentation without taking it away once you have it like Mm. you know so there's different ways there's different people who estimate it my friend um katie cronkite she's the ceo over at good words they do 
um, documentation. Like they're an agency that does documentation for startup companies. Uh, she has a great documentation calculator to help figure out like how much money having documentation will save you. But yeah, it's hard to put a number on it. But what we do get is just amazing feedback from our customers. We have a channel called Warm Fuzzies in our Slack. So like when people tell us like all of the good things about our product and what it's done for them, we share it back. And one of the big things we hear about is, you know, like giving customers a consistent experience, right? Giving the agents and the customers confidence in the tool, right? And like that idea of like building trust and building confidence, both with the internal team and with the external team. I think that is sort of the invaluable piece of having that documentation. Hmm, interesting. And what, who would you say that your who who is your ideal customer profile then? If somebody you want to help? still still it's it's fuzzy, but we know it's a lot of software and service based businesses, small to mid size. We're not like going after enterprise or anything, but like small to mid size service based businesses. Most of them have been around a while too, right? They've like you know they've been established, you know they've made it so far, and then they're like we need a knowledge base or we need to reorganize this because our information is a mess, it's everywhere, or our customers are like screaming to have some mm. sort of help center so that they don't need the contact support. Uh, you know, so we figured out what those jobs to be done are, but I'd say it's about 50% are those like software and technology companies who are looking to build a knowledge base for their customers and the product. Awesome. Awesome. And I mean, in last five, 10 years in a decade, I have used multiple knowledge based systems in house for different, you know, roles. Um, one of the biggest challenge of a knowledge-based system is when you search something, it doesn't show you what you're searching for. How do you tackle that sort of that problem? <laughs> search is <laughs> like the big thing, right? Because a lot of times people want a knowledge base because the search isn't working. Like people might have a bunch of things in Google Drive, but like, yeah, try to find something in Google Drive, like have fun. Um, yeah. Or they've been using something like Notion and they put everything in there and they're like, we can't find it now. Like it's somewhere we're not finding it. Um, mm. Search is definitely one of those things. Or like you have a, a tool where like you can create an article, but then you have to like teach the search. Like you got to put keywords in, you got to like do all these things to make sure that when someone types this, this article shows up. So I've heard it all from the different, <laughs> from people coming in with like search woes. Um, Cause that's a big reason people come to knowledge L. And uh, wait, many years ago we updated our search to use elastic search in the background. So like, it's nothing fancy, but guess what we do? We index like everything about your articles. Like we index the titles, we index your content, we index your URLs. We just index everything. And we give our customers sort of control over the search weights. Most people don't you know, necessarily need to go there. But the idea is that, you know, people can find what they need when they need it. Like the search just needs to work, right? It doesn't need to be fancy. We're looking into the AI stuff, but like it's not, it doesn't need to be fancy. People just need to be able to get to what they're looking for, right? Fast. Yeah, yeah. The first time. Yeah, I mean that—that's why Google is so famous. <laughs> it doesn't don't need to be IA search. We just need to have. I feel like Google's gotten worse. But like that might not be Google's fault. It might be the algorithm. But I mean, which is probably Google's fault. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 how do you anticipate the future of your industry evolving? Like, do you do you think that you're gonna implement some AI features going forward, or what, what's the plan? That's a good question. So like, it's it's been the hot topic over the last year. But here's the thing, with any AI tool, you need to train it. And what do you need to train an AI tool? You need a knowledge base. So 
So if people that want to implement AI, great. How are you going to train it? If you have a well-structured knowledge base that has all your information in it, then you have the information to feed to it. You need like the knowledge base is sort of like the table stakes. Like otherwise you're training it from scratch and you're basically building a knowledge base, yeah. <laughs> you know, to train yeah. your AI. So, you know, we've been looking and we've been working with a few other companies, just exploring sort of partnerships and what that might look like. But there's a lot of like, there's a lot of angst around AI too, right? There's a lot of people like they don't want, they're concerned about privacy. You know, a lot of our customers, they do not want their documentation public. So like they do not want yeah. it being fed through like open AI. So yeah. what does that look like? So I think AI is really going to change the game for a lot of things. I don't think it's going to replace anything or replace like the need for a knowledge base or the need for people to write content. But it is going to change the experience of both writing content and like searching for content. And mm -hmm. like figuring out how to do that in a way that is not intimidating and enables people to write better content faster and enables people to find the content faster, um, I think is going to be sort of the magic that we're going to see happen in the next few years. But it is absolutely wild to think of where we are right now, right? Like yeah. ChatGPT has just like changed everything. So yeah. <laughs> trying to so figure out exactly what that looks like is tricky. Yeah, I mean, I've heard actually that there is a national or, or a state news channel who already is using AI avatars to, to read news to people. Can you imagine that? How plastic it is. But people don't know the difference. So it's working out for them. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it depends on what people want. I think, you know, as like being like a human company, like where like what we have really focused on and our big differentiator over years and the biggest thing people will say about our organization and our product is our service, right? They love our people and they love our service and that that does require a human. We can have tech and AI enable those humans, but what people really value is the human thing. And I think as just like with anything, with phone trees and with chatbots, people get frustrated because they're like, can I please just have a human? You're always going to have like the need to get to the human. Okay. You know, it's just going to be about like making that experience really good before it because you don't need a human for everything. And when you can use AI effectively to take care of those easier things, then you free up the humans to really give more time and attention to people that really need your help. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Um that's really great. I'm really enjoying this conversation, but you know, we are tied with the time. So, so I would like to ask you, like, can you, can you share a moment when you were faced with a tough decision that had an immense impact on your startup journey and how did you navigate through it? Oh, that is a, that is an exciting one. Um, so I'll, I'll give, actually give, I, I've never, I haven't told really anyone outside of like our inner circle here, but like we actually just went through something ourselves um, this month, actually. So, uh, so as it's part of my founder journey, you know, I'm learning to, you know, I used to do all of our taxes. I used to do all of our accounting. I, and we started hiring other people and they're like, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing the books. <laughs> like you probably don't need to do that. So like I hired people, right? I hired people, they took over the accounting, they took over everything. So I got out of the finance and I haven't really been in the finance side of the business. Mm -hmm. um, like I haven't been paying attention. I've just been focusing on other areas, right? Because I'm like, people are taking care of it. And I sort of don't do this. Don't do what I do. I sort of did not pay as much attention as I should. And we had a moment this earlier this month where I sat down and I'm like, who has a budget? Like, where's the budget? Guess what? Nobody had. 
a budget. So I went down and we sat down and like looked at it. And we realized that our expenses was more than our monthly recurring revenue. And I was like, we can't do this. Like we're bootstrapped. Like we don't have like, (laughs) we don't have a huge runway. Like this is not what we're doing. So I had that moment where I had to cut expenses this month. And guess what our biggest expense is? Headcounts. People. People. Yeah. Yeah. And we're a people first company and I care so deeply about people, but I had to cut some major things. And the only way, the only way to do this was to like reduce the people expense. And I, you know, I sat there with spreadsheets and I went through all different models. Okay. What if we did this? What if we did that? What if we did this other thing? And, um, and this is, this is my decision. It's not like what other people did, but you know, with, with what I believe in my values is like, I want to figure out, I'm calling it operation, right? The ship, but I wanted to figure out like, how do we like correct this without, you know, cutting anyone, right. Without yeah. cutting somebody completely. And we were able to figure it out. And like, Ooh. nobody, nobody lost their job. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. still here. We have a plan, you know, people, people were willing to like reduce their hours or give discounts on like, and like, you know, discounts on their invoices and stuff. And it was amazing that like people came in and were like, how can I help? Right. Mm. And I think that is part of it. It's like, we've been very generous and like that is, you know, part of it. And we built this very like tight team and we were able to figure out a way to work through this without losing people, which is important to me because it is, you know, I don't know if you've been following along on LinkedIn, but it seems like a massacre out there with all of the layoffs. And like, that is not like I, in my, I never, 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 never want to have to lay people off. And I think Mm -hmm. what we came close to like having to do it. And I'm so glad we are able to work through this without doing that. And I, I think the big lesson is there is like, A, you need to pay attention to the numbers, right? Especially as a founder. Like, don't just trust anybody. Don't just like absolve yourself from there. Like, you need to look at the numbers, right? And yeah. make sure. Yeah. And, yeah. And then when you are hiring, like, I know when you have money in the bank and when you have a surplus, it's really easy to be like, look at all this money. Let's just hire people. You know, but be very careful, right? Because like, like that, like, that is like, I just one of those experiences, like as a human, right, to like be hired on, right, and like to be part of like something that you really care about, and then have them be like, we can't pay you anymore. Oh, you know, that's crushing to people, right? That is not, you know, the type of business that like we wanted to build. And like, I'm, I'm very grateful that we were able to not have to lay anybody off. Kudos. To that. I, mean, I mean, this is this is brilliant, because I was expecting that, you know, you have you know reduce the headcount by like i don't know 10 percent and 15 percent and you got back but kudos to that that you figured out from numbers and help from people who are working together i'm, I'm sure that you have a very tight team there we do and I'm, I'm sure we'll get through this but yes, yes but there's like a huge mistake it's like you need to pay attention right yeah. you need to pay attention and it's really common i think that's what happens with a lot of companies they've overhired right and they mm-hmm. didn't have like the cash flow to support it so like making sure that you have that emergent especially if you're bootstrapped right like making sure you have that emerging fund even if you switch to accrual accounting make sure you're paying attention to cash flow you know so that like when you have those months where you don't have a lot of like annual accounts you don't have a lot of cash coming in you can still pay all your bills 
Like you need to pay attention to that stuff, especially as you grow. And it's easy if you've never run into an issue as you're growing, it's easy to stop paying attention to it. Because you're like, we've always been fine. We've never run out of money, right? But it's one of those things. Great, great stuff. Well, amazing uh, chat, Marybeth. I've learned so much from you today. It, you know, uh, not just about you can actually run a company just being bootstrapped, but also, uh, you know, it's 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 the team, it's the people who are the, the most important assets of your company. It's not just about the technology and product, isn't it? Great. Right. So we, we are heading towards the end of the show. Um yeah, so we should wrap up. We, we're going to go into our lightning round. Uh, I've got six quick fire questions for you. So just answer them as quick as you can. You ready? Yes. Great. Okay. Uh, what's, what's one of the best piece of business advice you have received? Uh, get an executive assistant as soon as you can. Great. <laughs> Saves you a lot of time, right? <laughs> okay. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell, who is the one that got me to get an executive assistant. <laughs> awesome. Dan Martell, I have attended his startup uh, classes, so I understand how you know efficient he makes you when, when you're into founders' chairs. Or, that's great. Yes. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Optimism? Well, no, that might be actually like an unsuccessful founder. Um, discipline. Discipline. Yeah, totally agree. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, scheduling my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's kind of a calendar. What's a new or a crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had time? Um, I always... <laughs> It's something called the validation hotline. I've been thinking about this for years, but do you ever remember something that you can't Google? Like you look at it and you're like, you can't find evidence that this was actually a thing ever, but you remember something. Like mm. I want to be able to like call somebody up or like send an email. I'm like, can you, can you find evidence that this actually existed and have like a teams of people that will research it and actually validate that you didn't, you're not making something up. The validation right. hotline. Yeah. Validation online. Oh, that's a really good idea. I don't know. I, you know, it's not about making money. It's just about solving my own problem, which is like, I know this used to be a TV show. <laughs> like, where is it? I have no evidence that this yep. existed, but I remember it. You, you know what? You you can have big customers from, polit- from, from people who are in opposite party. Mm-hmm. But this line, right? No, 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 no mind. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah. go to the next one. I don't know if it's a good business making idea. It's just <laughs> something I would want. Great. Last question. What's an interesting or a fun fact about you that most people don't know um in the in the startup world it might be that i hunt rats with my dog for fun oh okay hunt rat for okay what is it's a dog sport it's called barn hunt okay yeah yeah, she's very good we do this a lot awesome i've never heard about it yeah. So I'm going to Google about it later. <laughs> you should. It's very fun. I'll send you a video. Great stuff. Yeah, that would be good. Okay. So, Marybeth, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story, unpacking the last few years of building this business and some of the ups and downs. If people want to check out Knowledge Owl and if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? So um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So I'm just Marybeth Alexander on LinkedIn. I'm also trying to figure out Instagram. I'm Chief Executive Owl there. 
So mm-hmm. I'd love, I'd love more friends on Instagram. And then I'm just marybeth at knowledgeall.com if you want to send me an email. So I'm happy to chat. I love people. Awesome. Great. And with, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey uh, and the impactful work you're doing with Knowledge Owl. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on our Founders Podcast. Thank you. Great. Thanks you all for tuning into this episode of Founders Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Malbeth insightful and inspiring. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building.